Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. On today's episode of the Recruitment Flex, should we expect a $50 billion increase spent on hiring this year? Is it time for candidates to get paid to interview? Are executives putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? And people activation platform raises $32 million. And we asked the question, what the hell is a people activation platform? I'm Serge, the better looking of the male co-host today and would love to introduce my fabulous co-host, Shelly Bellinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Hello, Serge. It's going well. I love how just because you get to do the intro, you just uh, take that opportunity (laughs) to point out that Somehow you think you're more handsome than our lovely third co-host today. So no further ado, introducing America's number one TA podcaster, the co-host of Chad and Cheese podcast, Mr. Chad Sowash. Welcome back to our show, Chad. Shelly, it's great to see you again. I'm glad that you're here. Serge, you can leave now. We will leave. I can leave. Okay, I'm all done. Well, hey, hey, wait, let's hold off here. So Shelly... <laughs> Yes. Who, who is the better looking male co-host today? It's Chad. He's so much more buff. Like, oh my gosh, Serge, I know you intend to work out and you talk about taking creatine and stuff, but Chad's Shelly, wearing a tight Shelly, this, t-shirt this and I'm podcast like, is done. Oh my God. We're, we're done. We're done. I'm moving on. <laughs> I'm finding a new co-host. That is one of the one requirements. You have to have my back when it comes to the best looking co-host. You're just saying that because Chad is on and you're sucking up to Chad like he no, always sucks up to you. I'm looking at him, sir. You asked me to tell you. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. We just need to feed you more or something. You've been down in the basement too long. <laughs> Uh, you know why because you guys can't get any supplies you have all those truckers on the damn bridge what the hell was that our grocery store shelves are empty really crazy have you tried to buy cereal this week Serge? for the cereal has been crazy for the last two months with three young kids they eat cereal by like the truckload it's been a big issue but okay chad really good point what's your take on this as an american what are you seeing yeah i I could see this as it could have been like a few hours or something like that but i can't see how you don't just remove flex cuff those assholes put them in the back of a truck and then get people to actually either tow or drive those trucks off the bridge. I mean, this goes beyond just picketing. And this actually is hurting a supply chain that is Mm -hmm. already broken. So if you can't step in and you have to just like finesse this, you're not the leader for me. Get the hell out of here. We need to get things fixed. Oh, I I agree. And like part of it is, so they blocked the border at the Ambassador Bridge in in Detroit, Windsor. Mm -hmm. They blocked the one here in Alberta between Montana and Alberta. And then there's a whole thing in Ottawa, which they're putting hot tubs in the middle of the street. Like they've completely (laughs) taken over our capital city. And I equate this to what happened in the U.S. on January 6th. They haven't stormed the parliament. But the match of the type of people that are doing this are very similar. It is embarrassing that we've allowed this to happen. And it looks like to the rest of the world that everyone's on board with what they're doing as Canadian. And that is not the case. It is a French minority, as Trudeau would say. Maybe his approach is not the right way, but I don't disagree with that statement. And they found a stash of weapons Mm -hmm. here on the border 
and a plan to murder the police. And we're saying these are good people. Come on, give me a break. So anyways, that's my take, Shelley. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, the view of our taking a back seat to this and not standing up and just saying this is wrong. Right. Interestingly enough, there was some sympathy from French truck drivers in France. And the French government stepped in like within hours and said, oh, no, you won't. Yeah. And they shut it down. Like right now you will be fined. You cannot hold the country hostage. So take their truck. Yeah. Even the police are not getting involved. Like we're going to give you a fine of $500 if you don't move. The other really sad commentary on this, and we're going to talk about diversity and will society ever really change when the first nations were peacefully sitting on their lawn chairs, blocking a road that led into where pipelines were being built. The RCMP were there within a matter of days and had them physically removed. And that was truly a peaceful protest. It really was. There's been no action. This is going on for two weeks. It's an embarrassment. It is. But the biggest difference is it's a whole lot of white folks compared to- It's it, all it, white folks. Yeah. If this was- And they're all group. between the ages of 40 and 65. I've seen them being interviewed on the news and they all are that same demographic. And they're yeah. all wearing camouflage. <laughs> and they're going to <laughs> war. No, like yeah. camo. Like they think it's fashionable. I don't know. Yeah, I, I it is it, embarrassing, but oh my God. But in the US right now, Fox News, this is all that Tucker Carlson is talking about, which I'm like, oh shit, we made Fox News. Like <laughs> that can't be good at all. And this is an interesting thing. They blocked the GoFundMe. Then there's another one that came about and they release all the donors and more than half of it is from the US, which getting money from a foreign source on uh, internal political issue is very concerning across the board. Welcome to our system. That's our entire system. We get money that's funneled through dark money. It's one of those things where our political system is nothing but greasing the palms of the politicians, and we don't get what's good and what's right for the actual people. Well, let's talk about recruitment, because I think we all agree we are better equipped to talk about recruitment. So I want to introduce the first topic. So recruiter.com came out with uh, an article a couple days ago. They expect a $50 billion increase spent on hiring in 2022. Nothing really surprising. And here is how they got to the mat. So in 2021, the average cost per hire was around $4,425. That is up from 4129 in 2019. Executive level positions are around 14000 So If you look at what the expected turnover is going to be going into the year, around 28% turnover, which would mean, and this is focused on the US, right? We're looking at 33 million people will be hired. If you multiply that by the average cost per hire, you're getting around $50 billion. And they're saying it's based on two factors. So the job hopper economy, which we've talked a lot about, but I think it's an interesting viewpoint, and the great resignation continuing to make an impact. Although they do predict that the great resignation as we know it right now will be over in mid 2022. But Chad, let's jump to you first. What's your overall take on this? Does this make any sense to you? Well, first, to me, this is nothing more than an idiot tax for all those employers who didn't focus on retention initiatives like internal mobility, employee engagement, fair wages and wage equity, childcare, and then an added idiot tax for companies who didn't focus on candidate experience, recruiter experience, candidate care, 
nurturing, and actually leveraging the candidate databases they've spent millions building over yeah. the years. So to me, yeah, congratulations on the idiot tax. <laughs> well, is this a retention issue or is this a It's both. Issue? It's both. You, you take a look at it from the standpoint of retention. Number one, that's half of the yeah. equation. The other half, we spend millions of dollars, some companies, tens of millions of dollars a year to attract. And then what do we do? We throw them into a black hole or we throw them into a database to wither and die. If you were a CMO and you were given the amount of lead that they actually have amassed in these candidate databases and you let it wither and die, you'd be fired. Every single one of these talent acquisition professionals are committing malpractice. Love that take. Shelly, what's your take here? Okay. Well, I tweezed out something completely different from this report. <laughs> I, okay. So I'm not disagreeing that it's an idiot tax. I'm thinking they're way off in terms of their numbers. I don't know what they're using or whose calculator they're using. Uh, I think it's a lot more, quite honestly. Because oh, okay. yep. the other thing that this article points out, this is again, recruiter.com, somewhat self-serving. Mm. You know, there's a little sales pitch at the end, but they're saying they expect the great resignation to be over sometime mid 2022. And I'd like to know where the hell they're coming up with that, because I don't think it's even begun. Yeah. I think what we saw was just a precursor. It's only a fraction of what's about to come. The other thing that I'd like to challenge recruiter.com on is saying that the 3.9 million people in 2021 who quit because of government COVID-19 relief for unemployed people. What the fuck is that? Seriously? Like you really yeah. believe that these 3.9 million people, some of them may have been, I will <clears throat> give you that, but they're saying it's because of government relief. So the credibility of this whole article just evaporated for me. Personally, I'm saying, where's the receipts here? Show me your fucking research. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, Shelly, where, where you make, are you coming up with this? You make some really good points. There's a couple of things that I think are bang on. When we talk about the great resignation, it might be done. I don't disagree mm. that we're almost at the end of it. They pointed out one of the new realities that a lot of hiring managers are having a really hard time getting behind is the job hoppers, right? If we look at our parents, they were there 25, 30 years. Job hoppers surge honest to God, like that started 20 years ago. Not really. No, yes, not it, at this scale. Shelly did not start no, at this scale sorry. of people. Chad, being referee us, would you? Yeah. I think, I think, I think what we're saying now is in, if you are looking at somebody who has a resume and they have this long tenure somewhere, you're like, what's wrong with that person? Exactly. Why weren't they actually hired away? So th they're not job hoppers anymore. It's like, we start to see these things much differently through different lenses. So do I think that job hopping has been happening? Yes. Do we look at it in an entirely different scope and through different lenses? Oh, hell yeah. If you've been at the same place for 20 years, people are like, okay, that person's obviously not good enough to be able to pull out because nobody else could. Yeah, I agree completely. One of the things here is is how executives looked at in the past is, okay, this person has jumped a lot of jobs. We're not going to hire them. It's no longer the case because the talent pool is smaller. You have to look at them and they're bringing unique skill sets that if you're at the same company for 20 years, you're not going to have a depth of knowledge in what's out there, especially that the skill sets that you need to be successful in work change every year and a half now. Mm -hmm. So having someone change companies every two years, I don't see it as a negative, but 
we are seeing a lot more, which is causing a higher turnover across all organizations, which I think is going to be the new normal. Turnover ratios of 22% through the last, say, 10 years, it's going to be that 28 to 35%. So when I say the great resignation is coming to an end, we're just coming into a new reality. Okay. My prediction is that the great resignation is still to come because of the number of recruiters I hear you about job hopping and I agree that is the penalty you pay if you choose not to stay current in how much you pay people. People will leave in droves. And the sad fact of it is that most companies don't have their shit together when it comes to internal mobility. Yes. So yeah. if I want an increase and I'm willing to take on more, they say, well, I'm sorry, but we've redlined you. Guess what's going to happen? Those people are finally just going to say I'm leaving. And it's really are. actually a fact yeah. that sometimes you do have to quit to get a pay raise. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. HR has such a fucking stranglehold on their salary surveys and we have to keep doing it this way. And yes, I am blaming my friends in comp, most thankless job in all of HR, but they have to stick to their guardrails. I've heard it said many times that they're keeping the money for the executive bonuses at the end of the day, rather than spreading it out where it belongs. That and shareholders. Yeah. And shareholders. Okay. So how long do you plan to stay in business? That's the thing, right? And yeah. I think you nailed it. A really good point there as far as executive pay has been growing way faster than inflation. And that is not the case with all the other roles across the board. So I do not yeah. blame an employee that can get 30% somewhere else compared to their 2.5% by staying in the same company. Like seriously. Like loyalty is out the window. The minute that companies decided that when times are tough, we're going to let you go. Yeah. Employees have seen that. So let's yeah, jump so to the next topic. Speaking of executives being aware of how much money is being spent, um, great article in Forbes that talked about the notion, what if candidates were paid for their interview? Would those who are involved in the process maybe sit up and take notice that how absurd it is to put somebody through nine interviews and how I think it's absolutely immoral to be asking people to submit work samples of maybe work you've already done, but some organizations asking for presentations or asking, how would you solve this problem? And then not hiring anybody at all. It does still happen. I don't think it's rampant, but the idea of being paid to go to an interview, would it change behavior of how much quicker companies need to move to make hiring decisions? I don't know if it'll work. Quite honestly, I'm skeptical because I heard McDonald's tried to do that or Burger King. Here's a free sandwich. <laughs> Just come to an interview and it didn't yeah. work. So I don't know. It's an interesting question. Chad, what are your thoughts on this topic? Well, first and foremost, as a rule, I usually do not read anything that Jack Kelly writes. Here's an example why. Jack writes, and I quote, many empathetic companies have offered free college tuition payments, remote and hybrid work options, along with mental health days off, Zoom free days, and other initiatives in an effort to improve the working life of employees, end quote. Okay, so this has nothing to do with corporate America being empathetic, Jack. It has to do with the pandemic and employers trying to keep employees and attract new ones. So Jack is just wrapping this ridiculous empathy around that just for starters. Then we go into this whole interview, paying people for interviewing. Will companies do this? The idiots will. Hello to the new idiot tax, right? Should they? 
No, because this will not fix what's broken. Shelly, you were just talking about some of the things that were broken. You fix what's broken. You don't try to give people money and then shit's still broken in the back room. So it sounds like Jack just read a book about timeshare tactics. It's pathetic and it doesn't even address what's wrong with the system. Fix the system. Don't offer more money to drive the broken down car. So I've never read anything from Jack Kelly. Jack, I still you're like lucky. you. Don't listen to Chad. I think do your it. article was really good. When I look at it, there's oh, a couple- good about it? No, no, here, here. <laughs> uh, let me explain, Chad. If I look at it, and I am a recruitment practitioner of this group, one of the things that I noticed, yes, fix a system. But most companies do not want to fix a system or don't know how to fix a system. So we are going into this- hamster wheel of hiring managers being like, I can't make a fucking decision. I'm going to get Jack and Susie from accounting and Jim to be able to verify my choice. So when that hire is a bad hire, they can't blame me. This is causing a massive challenge with a lot of interviews that shouldn't happen. And hiring managers, executives are not seeing why, because they're working under a paradigm that the more you interview, the more you figure out from the candidate, there's a better chance that you can screen them out, which is completely the wrong approach. I agree with all of your sentiments, but we haven't been able to do anything to change that behavior. And will money finally do it? If you look at what actually drives behavior, money is a driving factor. So will this type of approach, which is different than what we've tried for 30 years in a really broken process and system, will this make a change? I think it's worth asking the questions. It will never happen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> but I right. think it's, it's a valid question. So it's interesting because the point is not how much money you would give a candidate to come to an interview. That is just stupid. The point I think, and the only good point that I would take from this article would be the fact that if it's costing an organization hard, cold cash, of course, it's already costing them money, managers time, recruiters time, HR's time. But until they see a dollar sign in front of it, they won't pay attention or change their behavior. That was the only thing I really found to be, ah, you know what? They would pay attention if there was a budget line item that now is racking it up into the millions. And I've never met a CFO who wouldn't pay attention to that. So one dollar figure that we don't talk about that we should talk about is how much money it actually costs to keep that position. If that position is not filled, how is it directly impacting the bottom line cash-wise, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you tie that to a hiring manager and you say you're losing the organization this much money because you're not, right? So we're having the wrong discussion. Jack is an idiot. We need to talk about fixing the system. How do we fix the system? We become better business people as talent acquisition. We get a spine as talent acquisition, and we mm. start to understand that you do not create product. You do not provide services. You do nothing as an organization without the heart and soul of the organization, which is talent acquisition. Once you understand that, and then you start to apply basic 101 business to hiring, to uh, the products, again, if I have an engineer, a developer who develops products or a salesperson who sells products, how much does it actually cost the organization to keep that position open every single day? If you're in talent acquisition and you're a talent acquisition leader and you don't know those numbers, fire yourself. 
because you don't deserve to be in that position. You need to understand how the company actually works. So therefore, you actually deserve to be in the C-suite. You finally made some good points. I do think you're coming from a world that's a little bit altruistic as far as that is going to happen because most organizations right now don't even have talent acquisition at a higher level than, say, a manager. And we're talking organizations maybe of 10,000 people with a manager leading talent. That's the major issue. If you ask most organizations and CEOs what the biggest challenge there is right now, they'll tell you hiring. And if you ask them the same question, where is that seat at the table next to you talking about hiring? It's usually four or five levels lower. We have a VP of HR or CHRO that fucking hates recruitment. Like recruitment is the worst part of their job and they're representing recruitment to the executive. Snuggle up to the CRO. Because if there's one person that's yeah, the most enough. impactful and the most powerful in the so organization, true. even more so in some cases than the CEO, yeah. go to the CRO. If you can demonstrate that you can help them sell more faster, you just got a, a, a golden ticket, Willy Wonka. Chad, we've been talking about the next topic a lot, but I want you to introduce the next topic. Okay, so there's this new report that came out for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So. Culture Amps 2022 Workplace DEI report reveals a striking disconnect, go figure, in organizations' commitment, action, and impact on DEI, with many organizations failing to collect DEI data or strategically invest in programming that will improve DEI outcomes. Here's a quick percentage that you're going to enjoy. The Culture Amps study shows only 49% have a strategic diversity plan. So that being said, obviously, for 51%, it's not real. It's all just smoke and mirrors at that point. What did you get out of this report? I would say 99%, it's all smoke and mirrors. Like having a program (laughs) doesn't mean you're actually doing things. Like I've been in organizations where you're doing training on diversity, equity, inclusion, but it's all bullshit. You do an hour seminar and done. This is where a lot of companies are not doing it. The perfect example. So better.com when they laid off everyone, which department got laid off? It was the diversity, equity, inclusion talent attraction, talent acquisition team. Mm-hmm. If, if there's not a focus on hiring underrepresented groups from talent acquisition and there's a clear plan, mm-hmm. I don't think organizations are doing enough. Shelly, I know we've been talking a lot about that. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors and the interest from executives seem to start waning. But Shelly, what's your take? I've got a different take on this. We are 18 months in. So if you dial this back to when this became front and center and what are companies going to do? What I've learned just by having people on the show that work in this business, one of the things we're really forgetting is that they told us from the get-go, this is like a 10-year commitment. We're 18 months in, you guys. If you believe that strategy is something that you do once and 18 months later, you failed if you haven't moved the, the needle, then I don't think it was a strategy at all. Then maybe it was just smoke and mirrors and something nice to print. But if we're really going to measure this, you got to be in this for the long haul. You're not going to see changes in 18 months. You're not going to be able to measure um, these leaps and bounds that you're expecting to see. I don't know if that's realistic. Chad, do you know anybody that works in this space that tells you at 18 months, we should have expected a 50% uptake? 
Yeah. Would yeah. anybody so, say that? So two things. I was lucky enough to actually work with Ronstadt in building their veteran hiring program. And within six months, or actually, I'm sorry, six weeks working with the Ford Motor Company, we had uh, 20% of our first cohort of hires were veterans. We took that from literally, you know, th- who they were tripping over to 15 and 20%. Julie, my wife, is the executive director of Disability Solutions. She works directly with a big brand you might know, you might have heard of them, Pepsi. They have hired thousands of individuals with disabilities into their organization, and they've actually won awards from the U.S. government. And this is within literally that 18-month time frame. So yeah, Shelly, I call total bullshit. The reason why they don't get this done is because it's more smoke and mirrors. It's more talk the talk instead of walk the walk. They need experts in-house. They need people who know how to build these types of programs, and they know that they have to focus on training because in some cases, there aren't individuals in those cohorts or those demographics. How do you actually work with community colleges? How do you work with high schools? How do you build for tomorrow today while you're actually moving the needle today? Well, I think you're talking about some outliers here. And I would challenge that Pepsi probably had initiatives where they were open to taking on this sort of thing. And they had prepared their people. And same thing with Ford. I don't imagine it was just a light bulb switch. Yes, you made the difference, right time, right supplier. But I think their culture had to have been ready for it. When we're looking at major corporations across North America, I believe they're just starting to talk about it now and they will be ready. Could they pull the trigger and make the change that quickly? I think it would be a failure if there wasn't the pre-work done. There would have to be some serious pre-work done for either of those major corporations to not only bring those thousands of people in, but ensure that they stay and that they're treated appropriately and that they retain them, and that they get the value of bringing in, whether it's neurodiverse or whether it's veterans or the underemployed, the culture had to be ready to bring them in. And I don't think cultures are going to change over 18 months. Let me get the last word on this, Shelley. Okay, Um, Serge. (laughs) Please do. So you're not wrong, but you're mostly wrong. Part of what this article and what the data actually shows is these companies don't even have a strategy. So saying it's a 10-year plan, well, I can have a 10-year plan of no strategy, and that's not a strategy. I, I completely agree with Chad's point. If you have intent, you can move the needle really quickly, right? Okay, we're going to hire in a specific group, and we're going to be very intentional about it. You're going to have an impact in 18 months. So you're going to have an impact in three months. You did have some good points. Is the organization ready to take care of these folks. When they come in, is the environment ready for them to be successful? A lot of organizations don't have that. So they don't. And could yeah. could I have one last word? I guess so. It's your show. You do it. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I thought was just like how timely. Perfect example. Last night was listening to this big announcement, the BC Lions, which is a CFL up here in Canada, Chad. They announced the first time that they've hired a female coach. And so the press is interviewing the head coach, Tanya Walter, who is the defensive assistant coach. Mm -hmm. And here's the perfect example of what not to do, because they pan the camera over to the head coach who starts to describe the work that Tanya will be doing. Mm -hmm. And he says, 
you'll see all of our guys. Tanya is going to came right out of his mouth, but he referred to her as, you know, you're going to see Tanya just like you'd see any of our guys. Like she's the token female, right? Token, like it's worse. He sees her as a man. Okay. Like he he even referred to her as a guy. I will one up that CFL with NFL. And we've been seeing this. Now the Rooney rule has been in effect. You guys know what the Rooney rule is? Yeah. The Rooney rule has been in effect for 20 years. The population of the actual player composition in itself is 58% uh, black male right? Mm -hmm. We have one head coach that's black. Okay. So they have a rule that's been in place, but it's always been smoke and mirrors. As a matter of fact, Brian Flores was supposed to interview for a position with the New York Giants. They had already picked the, the white head coach that they were going to pick. Bill Belichick mistakenly texted him saying, congratulations on winning the head coach. Yeah. He texted the wrong Brian. So again, I really think Shelly, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing a bunch of talk with no intent behind it. Yes. Let's move on to the next topic because we have the HR tech guru. So we need to talk a a couple (laughs) of things of new funding. The first one I want to cover is and borders. So and borders do world only People activation platform enabling companies to transform their people programs into simple science-based human-centric journeys, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, they raised $32 million in Series B funding. First of all, I've known about Enborder for a while. Yeah. And I've never heard of a people activation platform. Let's just be clear here. This is an onboarding tool. And Thirty-two million actually surprised me because they have four hundred clients. Are they taking way too much money? Give me your insights here, Chad. Yeah, first and foremost, this is an Australian organization. They've been around since twenty fifteen, and they're now just getting their Series B. Yeah, and the total raise is forty-nine million, which means number one, they've either been spending smartly and or they've been doing enough to drive revenue to not have to ask for cash. Uh, The article talks about why they need funding. It's for international growth. And this is where I say, okay, where and how are they looking to try to service those international clients that they already have? Yeah. Or are they looking to try to invade other countries? Because that's an entirely different discussion when you're talking about go to market, right? And it's going to take a hell of a lot more than 32 million or 50 million to be able to try to dip into the US if you're trying to actually invade the US from a market standpoint. Uh, And then they're doubling headcount again. Okay, where? I I love what they're doing. They're starting to, to try to become something more than onboarding to say that it's people activation. I, I don't know where that fits. I don't know what that means. If you look at this release and or some of the um quotes, it's nothing but word salad. I mean, it's horrible. They have to keep it simple and they have to stop over-engineering their message. Uh, I I love what they do. They're obviously growing the right way, I believe, but somebody's gotten in there and they have convinced them that this word salad kind of activation thing is where they need to go. And I think whoever that is, you need to kick them to the curb quick. Can we use real words that people actually use on a daily basis when it comes to these companies and the vision and the mission and the type of statement? I'm seeing all these funding announcements and I'm like, 
where the fuck did you get this? Like people activation platform is just going to confuse the market even more because you've been in the industry how long? Myself, Shelly. And we're like, we had no clue what that meant at all. Like I had to they don't. deeper. They don't. Yeah. They don't. Exactly. Yeah. They don't know what it well, means. And they're, they're smartly moving more toward HCM and talent management. Right. Yeah. And, and the reason why I say smartly is because there's more money there, not to mention there's bigger players and they could prospectively get a much larger exit. So I think they're doing a lot of good, smart things. But when it comes to, to being this new thing on the block, that's not the coolest thing because you need to have the market validation behind you. Right. And there's that one piece, this marketing piece, this messaging piece that I just don't get. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the U.S. Because for HR tech, the U.S. is the holy grail that everyone tries to get into. And <laughs> y- you need a ton of cash, right? There's a, a murderous rows of companies that failed in the U.S. And another announcement, and as heard on the shred on Chat and Cheese this morning on Wednesday, <laughs> alongside, disclaimer, I am the head of sales, the best looking executive on that team, alongside in Career Beacon, just got $8 million in funding. And we've got a, a, a lot Round of big of plans for it. Yeah, we're very excited. We've been growing headcount wise. We've already doubled the headcount in the last couple of months. So a lot of great things. Congratulations to Eve, <laughs> our CEO, who we've had on the show who is an amazing boss by the way (laughs) (laughs) but really good news for canada right this is a podcast really i'm just gonna suck up to my boss right here uh same last name so why not (laughs) perfect well chad it was so good to have you on the show again and i I love what you guys are doing on chat and cheese you guys do such a great job and to be part of the evergreen network with uh with you guys has been a pleasure so thank you for coming yeah. on the show and shelly you yes. you got held to pay our relationship has changed because <laughs> this has changed everything for me you'll shelly, get over it we can always talk about uh coming on and doing some guest hosting slots on chat and cheese so yeah. <laughs> america's number one hr podcast yeah i think i'll take you up on that <laughs> fine, fine. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you, listeners. Thank Have you, a great Chad. weekend. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for having me on. Bye. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.